0: Hello, readers. Welcome to 20 Questions with Your Favorite Author, where we ask author important questions like why would you agree to be on this podcast? I'm Kelly Lynn Colby, editorial director at Curse Dragon Ship Publishing. Our guest this week is John R. Osborne, military sci fi writer and beer connoisseur. John's second book in the Milesian Accords Modern Fantasy Trilogy, A Tempered Warrior, was a 2018 Dragon Awards finalist. John resides in Indianapolis, where he plays role-playing games, writes science fiction and fantasy, and extols the virtues of beer. If he's not your favorite now, he will be after. Good evening, John. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Good evening. Thank you.
0: It's nice to have you here. I Good like beer. that extolling the virtues of beer. I mean, we kind of have a beer connoisseur on the CDS ship as well. Um, our tech guy, Zapho, is very much into the beer. He was actually just at his buddy's house cleaning equipment because they're brewing this week.
1: Ooh, that's fun. I have a friend that's a brewer, too. And mm-hmm. I, I like to help mainly by a quality control.
0: Oh, that's fair. I mean, that's an important job. Someone has to do it. Yes. So I'm wondering, do you have a favorite brewery?
1: Um, I would have to say probably my local favorite is Sun King Brewery. Uh, their Scottish Ale Wee Mac is my, my go-to beer. Ooh. I have a friend, when we go to a bar, you know, she kids me because every time I decide to try something new, mm-hmm. they'll be, oh, sorry, we're out. And, All right, fine, give me a Wee Mac. <laughs> and she's fine. like, why are you bothered? You knew we were going to get a Wee Mac anyway. Because
0: well, you got to try. keep trying, man. What's the point? I mean, how can you be a good quality controller if you don't try lots of different kinds of beer? That's right. That's right. Is there a brewery that you really want to visit? That you
1: haven't been to yet? Ooh, um, I want to visit the Guinness Brewery in Ireland yes. because I didn't yes. get in there when I was there when I was a kid. Well, when I nice. say kid, in college.
0: Mm.
1: And I was actually in Dublin, and for some reason, never like got on my radar to go to the brewery. Whew. But back then, you know, I was a college college kid, so I was drinking, you know, Miller Lite or whatever we could, you know,
0: whatever was cheapest, right? <laughs> right. Not, not so much connoisseur at that time. It leads to it. That's awesome. No, Guinness would be great. That's on our list, too. Um, is there anywhere in the world you'd like to travel that you haven't been to yet?
1: That I haven't been? Uh, mm-hmm. Scotland.
0: Um,
1: mm. The Isle of Skye. The Isle where? Isle of Skye in Scotland.
0: Oh, gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. That would be beautiful. I mean, if you hit it the right time of year. Otherwise, it's just rainy.
1: Yes, and uh, you know, I'd like to visit probably some local distilleries up there.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you have to like whiskey for that, right?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I, I do like whiskey, although I talk a lot about beer. I, I do enjoy a, a bit of whiskey as well, you know, a little writer's fuel.
0: Very nice. It's a good thing to celebrate with. The beer gets you through the book, and the whiskey celebrates. I finally finished it. That's right. I like it. I like it. Yeah, Friday Blue wants to know if you've ever tried Scheiner Bock. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we call, Jenny, at least around here, we call Shinerbach the um, gateway beer. It's like the one if all you've, you know, had was like Miller Lite and Bud Light and that kind of thing. You know, the thing that at least my husband and Henry call um, water. <clears throat> so I don't oh, know what kind like, of beer snob you are. That's what kind of beer snob they are. And so they call Shinerbach is like, you know, that you have that. And you're like, wait, beer can have flavor. And then you start trying all these other beers. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, yeah. Shiner ha- just had a, 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 a candied pecan nut brown. Oh, uh, I shared with a friend over Christmas.
0: Yeah, that sounds like one to share, not one to just sit and sip.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it wasn't as heavy as I was afraid it was going to be, because sometimes these these flavored beers, mm-hmm. especially like the sweeter ones, they get a little too heavy and cloying.
0: Mm. And,
1: you know, but this was a good nut brown. Um, they didn't get carried away with the flavor. So while it was there, it wasn't overwhelming. It didn't like fill you up. Because although I, I prefer dark beers, you know, a beer you can chew, as I put it, um, you know, sometimes <laughs> they can fill you up.
0: Yes, you're like, one, I'll just have one. No, honestly, officer, I only had one. It was a Guinness. That's all I could take. Um, well, speaking of journeys, did you begin as a professional writer or were there side roads to this end goal?
1: Oh, uh, there wasn't just side roads. There was like a whole map. <laughs> um, I didn't get published till I was 51. Excellent.
0: It's never so, too late.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's why I tell people. It's never too mm-hmm. late. I, I like, you know, poked around at, at, with writing ever since I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, my friend and I, we wrote our first, uh, our D&D campaign is my, my first book, and it was awful. Um, it will never see the light of day.
0: <laughs> it's a first book, man. That's what happens.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I wrote part of it while I was actually traveling in Europe, which, you know, because when you're riding on a train and you're somewhere where there's no scenery, well, you break out the notebook. That's
0: right. And it makes you feel like a real author.
1: That's right.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, how long did it take you to write that first book?
1: The first one that got published or like that, that one that shall not be named? Let's do both. Uh, so the one that I, I did in college, we, I want to say started it my junior year probably finished it sometime during my senior year and then mm-hmm. promptly forgot about it.
0: Mm. Then real life came in.
1: Oh well, yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was a journalism major that never mm. went into journalism.
0: Hmm. You knew you wanted to write. It was in your blood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I went to school for journalism you know, on a scholarship. Um, that's part of the deal with my mom is to go where I went. I had to get a scholarship. So I did. Um, and actually, I went in for uh, you know writing, then got into uh, a snit with my uh, professor, I want to say my junior year also, over a story and switched oh, no. to advertising and public relations.
0: <laughs> I, there's which, more money in it anyways, right? still I counts as
1: a mind. journalism degree, um, oh, nice. Nice. but also still pays just as little when you get out of college. Need experience, man, experience. And really, I mean, to to go into that career, I would have had to move to a big market, probably.
0: Very likely. Very likely. It's hard to live that lifestyle without being in the big market, right? I mean, I've seen Mad Men. I know how it works.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, gaming was actually my outlet for storytelling.
0: Oh, nice. That's a great way to start. So how, in what way, because it, it said in your bio that you love role-playing games. How did that inspire your writing?
1: Well, I mean, actually, well, like I said, you know, the first book that, that I ever did was, you know, Based on a campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, Back when I was about 13, I just decided one day I wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. So I went out, bought a box set, taught myself how to play, and then realized, well, I need other people to play. So I like corralled my friends, (laughs) taught them to play. And since it was my game, I had to be the dungeon master because they Mm -hmm. didn't know how to. And Mm -hmm. that's where it all started.
0: That's so fun. The bravery of a 13-year-old. I'm so impressed with your younger self. Sometimes it's scary, right, just to dive in there. And you were oh, like, yeah. nope, I'm doing this. I love it. I love it. So what authors have inspired you along the way?
1: Um, wow. Let's see. Uh, Stephen Brust, Charles DeLint, um, on, on the fantasy side. Mm-hmm. On the science fiction side, uh, I read uh, when I was a kid, uh, Heinlein, Niven, uh, some Asimov, um, mm-hmm. and then going on into more went a lot of Alan Dean Foster
0: Ooh, yes.
1: who I really think you know it doesn't get you know you know you hear all these people talking about you know oh you know Larry Niven Robert Heinlein because you know they're they're the the, the greats yeah Foster mm. put out a lot of stuff that a lot of people yeah. read and it just kind of gets forgotten because I think you know because some of the stuff he did was you know novelizations right in fact I think the way I found him was his novelizations for Star Trek
0: I think that's where I found him, too. First time you saw him. It's one of those where you just see the Star Trek name. You don't necessarily see the author name until later. Right. Until you start to realize some Star Trek books are written better than others. Then you start to look at the authors.
1: <laughs> <laughs> very true.
0: Yes, very true. But it takes a, you know, when you're 11, you don't notice that. You know, as you get older, then you start to notice that. Um, let's see. So we also have you... Uh, which of your books challenge you the most and why?
1: I would say the military science fiction ones. Mm.
0: So the ones I write
1: in the Four Horsemen universe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because that is you know military science fiction. There's a heavy military aspect and I never served.
0: Gotcha. I was wondering if you could write it if you hadn't served. Thank you for answering that. So how do you do your research?
1: Uh, lots of stuff online and talking to people that have served.
0: Which is a lot of people on the Four Horsemen. So you've got a lot right. of
1: resources there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris Kennedy, I mean the publisher. You know, he, he's a retired military. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of military among the uh, the core authors. Kevin Eikenberry. Uh,
0: Kevin Eikenberry is- campus to mine, Yep. K.C.L. hmm You know,
1: they're they're in the core author cor- uh, core. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a lot of resources I can go to and ask questions. Now Very one nice. of the advantages of the way the Four Horsemen Universe is up since they're mercenaries as opposed to official mercenary mm-hmm. is our official military is we do get to play a little fast and loose. Right.
0: You could change the rules a little bit. Right. But it still has to feel like that they were military. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. That's cool. Um so so you talked about four horsemen. Like how did that happen? How did you get in with all these guys?
1: All right. So Mark Wandry and I were were gaming buddies. Okay. Back starting around 30, between 30, 35 years ago. Long time ago. Wow. Not too long after I got out of college and uh, mm-hmm. he moved here from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we both went to this uh, game club in Indianapolis and crossed paths there, started gaming together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd known each other, been friends since. And he, he likes to tell people he actually, that he actually expected me to get published first. However... One of my big problems is I could never finish anything.
0: Yes, that's the trick, right?
1: I am really good at starting projects and coming up with ideas. I'm really bad about finishing things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mark, Mark, on the other hand, um, you know, he, did, he would finish projects and then he started uh, getting published mm-hmm. and uh, at a convention here in Indy called In Conjunction, I met up with him because he was going and... Mm-hmm. Uh, he was telling me about his idea for the four horsemen universe and that he was going to pitch it to Chris. And he talked to Chris about it. Like I think the year before and Chris didn't have time. And so Mark had just started writing it and (laughs) he had the, the the first book either done or mostly done. And Mm -hmm. he gave Chris the manuscript. And it's kind of funny because I just happened to run into Chris at breakfast and Chris goes, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to mess with Mark. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, he told me what he was going to do. And so, you know, he meets Mark and he goes, "I read your manuscript last night, and I got some bad news." Mark's like, "Oh, you didn't like it?" He <laughs> said, "Yeah, I like it so much, I want to write in it." Oh,
0: <gasps> nice!
1: And so that was the genesis of the Four Horsemen universe becoming a a multi-author thing. So they did the first four books. That's so the, cool. The, the four the four horsemen units the Carright's mm-hmm. Cavaliers asbran Solutions the Wing Hussars and the Golden Horde. Mm. Um, and as they were getting into the second pair of books, they realized that they wanted to expand the universe, and they decided a good way to do this would be to kind of open up as a sandbox mm-hmm. and have an anthology of short stories. That way you'd have a bunch of different authors possibly going into parts of the universe that you know weren't just the four you know core mercenary units.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, Mark told me about it, and he's like, all right, look, Chris has said if you submit a story, he'll take a look at it. No no guarantees about it getting published or anything, but right, he will right? he said he'll he'll read it and he'll 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 take a look at it. And he's like, it's a short story, it's 8,000 words, you can finish that.
0: Yeah, do it. You can do it.
1: And so I did and mm-hmm. at that same breakfast I'd pitched Chris uh the Malaysian Accords or the the first book of Reluctant Druid. He's like, Yeah, that's something I'd like to read, but you know, obviously I'd never been published before or anything like that. So that's that's where that ended. Mm-hmm. And then I turned in my short story and at LibertyCon I, I met with him and he goes, All right, if your book's as good as your short story, I'll publish it.
0: Ooh. You're like fingers crossed. So did you did you have the book done yet?
1: I I think I did. Sweet. I think I had it on a flash drive with me. Oh, so clever. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's how I got in. And that's why I tell a lot of uh, hopeful writers is, because you know, a lot of people, they get hung up on, I have to finish a novel, I have to write a novel, I have to get a novel published. Mm-hmm. No, you don't, because short stories make a great audition. Yes. And so my short story... Which you know started the whole Bjorn's Berserker storyline was mm-hmm. my my uh, audition to Chris Kenny Publishing, mm-hmm. as well as the you know, the Four Horsemen universe, and a mm-hmm. lot of our authors have gotten in that way. Absolutely,
0: yeah. One of my authors, Kisto Healy, got into ours that way. I'm publishing two of his series now, and I met I found him through a short story as well.
1: And one of the big oh. things with Chris Kenny Publishing is that with um, almost all their anthologies, they have a few slots open for mm-hmm. new writers.
0: mm Hmm. They leave it open. Keep your eyes open. Get in the door. I like it. It's very clever. Very clever. Um, so didn't didn't the whole company like go camping a couple months ago?
1: So we had what uh we had what we call Factory Con. Factory Con. Yes. Um, <laughs> we went to a KOA campground on North Carolina Interbanks. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I think the, the campground bills itself as out outer banks. It really is the inner banks. But I mean, we rented out like a bunch of cabins, and some of our authors are RVers, so they brought their RVs, and nice. uh, we had, I'd say, it was like 100, 150 people there. That's glorious. Um, and you know, we we spent a few days together. You know, cooking out and hanging out. We had uh, uh, an authors like little mini author day during the middle of the day, I think on Saturday where we all, you know, broke out, broke out our books and, you know, we would like sell books and sign books for people and stuff like that. <laughs> no, it was on Friday. Cause Saturday I ran a play test for the RPG for the four horseman universe.
0: Oh, fun. I heard about that. That looks like so much fun.
1: It is. It is. In fact, that's what I am uh, crunching on uh, currently because I, I'd finished my, my last book mm-hmm. and, uh, my my day job is wrapped up for the year, and so now going to and you know so right now I'm on vacation, and then the first part of the year is a little bit slower my day job so I'm like you know trying trying to hammer out, the rest of this RPG.
0: It's so cool. I've seen some of the card samples, they're gorgeous.
1: And well, we we came up with a uh, we had a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and we we ended up with a with a a good problem, and that the Kickstarter started did so well that we hit our stretch goals to make the book thicker so more pages, and we found a, a printer that's different from the original printer, and the way they do their pricing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, price, the pricing would be the same for a full 8.5 by 11 book as it would be for the original uh, 7.5 by 10 format. Interesting. And it's like, well, okay, because the, they just do like small, medium, large. Mm-hmm. And the original format we were going to use is the ex- exact smallest they go for large. Gotcha. And we're like, well, if we're going to do that, it mm-hmm. makes sense to just go ahead and go to a full size eight and a half by 11 book. That gives us more real estate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So now there's more book to fill than we thought. Oh, no. <laughs> but like I said, it's a good problem to have, which means that we have to go into a lot more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're adding more playable races. The races, they they get bigger sections. Originally, the the race each race was going to have about half a page. And now each race gets a two-page spread.
0: Oh, that's so much fun. I'm really excited about that. We're going to have to look into it. Um, Kevin wants to know, how is it different for making a world for a book as opposed to intentionally creating a world for a shared universe?
1: Um, that's a very good question. Uh, yeah, it is a very good question. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is there's a lot more moving parts. When you have, you know over a dozen novelists and literally dozens of authors writing material in a universe.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, How do you keep track?
1: We have, well, we have a master file. We have a wiki that is woefully way behind. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges actually with the RPG was I'm having to consolidate this information and kind of establish a canon. Um, You know, for example, you know, how big certain alien races are, you know, We've had alien, you know, alien race, uh, the same race, you know, described as everywhere from, you know, a small, you know, something you hold in your hand to being a meter tall. Mm. Because different authors have different takes on it. Right. Um,
0: so if people are reading between the books, then they're like, wait a minute, but I thought this alien.
1: Right. It's like, wait, why weren't they smaller in another book?
0: Yeah, that and would be so... the hard part. Keep a track of all that
1: what i use, what i use is the term unreliable alien narrators
0: oh nice clever wave your hands quickly wave your hands quickly <laughs> i love it
1: um cuz that also cuz the cover art our, i love our cover art but if you look at it there's no way a person would actually like physically fit in that suit
0: ah uh. Okay. You know, the,
1: the the hips are too far apart and the the shoulders are, you know, even a, a humongous linebacker their shoulders just don't go out that far.
0: Um, yeah, that's a good point. I never even thought about it.
1: So, we you know, so when people say, "Well, you know, that doesn't look right." And I say, "Um, unreliable alien, alien narrators. That's how they describe them." Hmm. Interesting. Now, and one of the things we're doing as uh, we commission art for the game is mm-hmm. coming up with art where the person really could fit in the suit. And that, that's, that's a challenge for the artists is to keep, because the, the caspers, the, the armored suits, they have a very distinctive look to them. Mm-hmm. So we want it to be recognizable at, when people go, oh, that's a casper. But we also want it to look like that, yes, a person really could climb in one and Put run Put their
0: up. arms and legs in the leg places. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Reality and fantasy, man. It's hard to make them work together.
1: Yes. Well, actually, the fantasy side is easier.
0: Magic. <laughs> it's just because <laughs> I said so. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so what what did you gain from the whole team building thing when y'all went out there?
1: Well, I mean, it was a, a lot of just, you know, networking camaraderie. The core author group is, you know, really close. We're kind of like a family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of us get together and like, you know, it just started with the whole pandemic. We started getting together on Zoom on Saturdays. Oh, that's we clever. We have what we call the Peacemaker Cantina. Peacemakers are like <laughs> the lawkeepers in the Four Horsemen universe. Huh. And uh, no surprise, <laughs> Stallings is the instigator behind it.
0: Not surprised.
1: Um, but yeah, so we've been getting together uh, every weekend for that. And uh, you know, we actually we, we uh, put together a uh, anthology, not Four Horsemen universe, just an anthology mm-hmm. of stories from that cantina
0: <laughs> just from hanging out and talking about stuff
1: yes because we were we were just bannering <laughs> back and forth and the, the term came you know, of and then it got weird <laughs> Cause, cause someone like like was telling a story and paused, and someone else goes and then it got weird and then we started joking around with idea you know story ideas of you know and then it got <laughs> weird and then someone's like you know this could be an anthology
0: yeah is that what you called it? Because that's a great name for an anthology.
1: Yes, the anthology. And then it got weird. It's <laughs> on Amazon. Awesome.
0: That makes me happy.
1: <laughs> I, I have a story, a story in it. Um, totally unrelated to any of my other works.
0: Hmm. But, it's, it's, but it's in that universe. So it's just not the characters you write for this universe?
1: Oh, well, the story, and then it got weird. Totally its own universe, everything.
0: Oh, I gotcha. Okay,
1: gotcha. It's totally, totally a one-off. Um, there's a, a, lot, a lot of that in there, although I think a couple people, a, a lot of us authors like to seed novel ideas in short stories. Mm-hmm. And in the case of my story, I did not do that this time. Uh, uh, with uh, you know, Bjorn's Berserkers, obviously I, 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 I seeded that f- for a novel potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily uh, it was well-received, and so I did get to do novels on that.
0: Well, that was kind of an audition, so it made sense for that one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very clever. I like it. That's why I, I ask a lot of authors that do short stories, you know, why do you do them? And that is a great reason right there.
1: Well, that, I mean, between the, the whole audition thing, uh, it's an opportunity to reach new readers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, readers that may not have, uh, you know, read my Malaysian Accord stories or my Four Horse the stories, if they pick up this and then it got weird anthology, they may like my story uh, Burning Code and go, hey, I like this author. What else has he written?
0: Yep, let's look him up. Let's see what's in there. It's the way to go. So what's the most interesting or craziest thing you've learned through your writing and publishing adventure?
1: Wow, uh, crazy.
0: Yep, crazy or interesting. I mean, it doesn't have to be crazy.
1: Uh, I don't really say there's anything crazy. Uh, you know, I, Starting at 51, I'm pretty mellow. Um,
0: but... <laughs> You're like I've seen so much. <laughs>
1: You know, even 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 our, our our whole you know Vegas thing for 20, uh, 20 books you know wasn't wild and woolly.
0: <laughs> You're like nope, nope, still not reaching it for me. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm 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 too too old for that. You know, we we'd go down, hang out at the bar, and talk.
0: That's right. It's as adventuresome as we get. I now, feel one, yeah.
1: One of the things I did learn becoming an author is that you actually have to do a lot of marketing as an author. Mm, yes, yes. And a lot of us authors, you know, myself included, are. Uh, <laughs> introverts by nature mm-hmm. and yep. uh Just not can know, marketing easy. means talking to people
0: mm-hmm. <sighs> against our will most of the time
1: yeah so like you know when i started doing conventions and stuff all of a sudden i had to be able to, to you know flip that switch and be able to talk to total strangers mm-hmm. which uh retail my retail experience helped me with that
0: Yes. I mean, that's basically what you're doing anyways, right? So if you can just remember, that's what you're doing, except that you're also trying to sell a piece of yourself in the form of paper. So,
1: yeah, I mean, really, with with marketing, marketing isn't as much about selling your your physical books as it is selling yourself Mm -hmm. because people tend to read authors they like.
0: Absolutely. I've never bought a book from an author that I didn't like the author. Not once. I've bought books, you know, from the store that I didn't know the author. But when I'm an event, I'm like, oh, I like that person. I think I will buy their book. Not once was Thanks. I like, oh, oh, that guy. And I'm not going to buy his book. <laughs> not going to do it. Uh, the. Uh, sorry, the chat distracted me because Kevin said he, uh, he never would have gotten to play in snow if it weren't for writing. And he's right because he's from Florida. And when we went to Superstars together. Uh-huh. Like, we went separately, but that's when I, like, got to actually, like, hang with him, and it was awesome, and it had snowed, because, you know, it's in Colorado Springs, as you well know, and so there was snow on the ground, and he was so cute, because he was like, look, snow! <laughs> I'm like, we're from Chicago, this, we've seen a lot of snow. Yeah, yeah, we
1: have a term <laughs> called lake effect snow. <laughs>
0: And it's not so fun.
1: <laughs> and, and what's funny is living down here in central Indiana, like what they, they call a storm and they shut down the schools for and everyone like empties the stores of, you know, eggs and milk and bread. You know, we called lake effect snow.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: like it it's happens. Like, can the buses get out of the parking lot? Yes. Okay. Then we're having school. That's right.
0: <laughs> but it might snow later. We'll clear it before they have to leave. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I remember waiting out for the bus in the snow with the snow up to my hip. (laughs) Wasn't all the time, but I do remember that. Of course, I was wearing a skirt because I was a teenager and stupid. But, you know, that happens too. We had our times. We had our times. Uh, Which is funny since I'm cold when it gets to 60 degrees now. I don't know how I survived then. Um, Let's see. So craziest thing also. Which book of all your creations is your favorite? Yes, I want you to choose your favorite.
1: Ooh, making me choose my favorite. Probably. I am. Well, it it sounds like a cop-out, but my my most recent one.
0: (laughs) No, that's fair, I think. So what's your Um, most recent one?
1: My most recent one is the House Between Worlds, which Mm -hmm. is the follow-up to the Malaysian Accords trilogy. Gotcha. And one of the reasons why it's my my favorite is because not only do I include some of my favorite characters, but I get to introduce new ones. And (laughs) also, I feel that I've progressed both as a storyteller and... Uh, technically as a writer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it, it's technically a better product. Um, mm. On my trip to Dragon Con, I was listening to the mm. audiobook of A Reluctant Druid for the first time. Mm-hmm. And there was some wincing. It's like, oh no, how many times did I use that word? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, ooh, I would go back and do that differently. And... Um, the audio hides nothing. Oh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> and actually... I think that authors should listen to their books in audio. Oh yeah, because it totally changes things. When I, I first got the sample for *Electing and I listened to it. I was just like, "Ooh," I'm like, and "I'm like, Chris, can I go back and uh, do some rewriting?" And he's like, "No." It's like, "Nope, it's done. Next book." And uh, <laughs> and and then like I when I talked to him talked to him about it again recently at twenty uh, k, he's mm-hmm. like, "Well, if if you're very careful, I, I guess you could." Mm-hmm. But that would be time I'm not spending doing uh, new stuff. Plus, it's in the process of getting translated into German, so I really don't want to monkey with the text now. True,
0: just be confusing. And let's face it, half the things that bother us, the readers don't recognize. They don't. Yeah,
1: notice. I mean, there's some of them you know that I'm probably going <clears throat> at, and, and the readers just you know go by. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I did learn from uh, listening to that audio sample is that now part of my editing process. When I, I finish a first draft is mm-hmm. I go through and part of it is I'll have the computer read me the whole book.
0: Nice. I never have the patience for that. Well I'm so proud of you.
1: Because when I read, my mm-hmm. brain knows what I meant to write. Right. Mm-hmm. And it will like fill in missing words or words that aren't quite right. It'll fix them for me. Mm-hmm. But if I listen to it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. I'm like, wait a minute, what was that?
0: <laughs> I'm missing something here. What's going on here? Yep, yep. It is clever. It's, it's, it's definitely one of the recommendations if I only had the patience for it. But I do have to listen when the narrator reads it, right? So at least I catch some things then. But it's too late to rewrite at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too late, move on, keep going. Um. Well, how do you, since you write in these multiple worlds, how do you decide what to write next?
1: Part of it depends on uh, the publishing schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, being involved in a shared universe, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be times when they need a novel at a certain time to fall within the the, the braided storyline. hmm So, uh, for example, uh, and and Mark loves telling this story too. Uh, my first book, the Four Horsemen universe, when the axe falls. I pitched uh, Mark the story, the book idea at Liberty con
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's like, that's great. That would work in the Omega Wars, which is, which was the current storyline at that time. Gotcha. And he's like, we need to talk to Chris. And so we go, we find Chris, this is at the like, you know, party. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause we had a book launch party at Liberty con. And uh, he's like, all right, here, Chris, listen to the, the, this idea for a book. And Chris is like, well, that's great. And it would work. But I'm going to need it sooner rather than later if we're going to get it into the Omega Wars, you know, mm-hmm. and where it would need to fall in the story, in the, in the uh, timeline. And I'm like, well, how soon would you need it? And he's like, mm, Halloween. And this is Liberty Con, 4th of July weekend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Mark likes to say, like, and I think Chris does too, like that. To, I basically like, for a moment, I look like a deer in the headlights. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, as I'm doing the math in my head, this is the beginning of July. I have until the end of August. A hundred thousand words.
0: <laughs> I would say these are not thin books either. Uh
1: huh. A hundred thousand
0: like, good words. It has to be good by then.
1: <laughs> and I, I'm like, I, I process it for a moment. I'm like, all right, I can do that. Good for
0: you. Ugh take notes. Don't say no, just do it. That's why I'm writing a short story. I don't have time for it. Don't say no, just do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what project that's in progress or not started are you most excited about?
1: Well, rules of engagement is, is what I'm really excited about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I'm learning is doing an RPG book is a ton more work than a novel. How are you testing it? So um, we've been having play tests at, uh, at uh, conventions.
0: Okay.
1: Um and in fact like I mentioned at Factory Con we had a play test and that was really good because I learned I needed to go back to some of my numbers
0: mm.
1: because I'd made the uh, the armored suits a little too tough. Gotcha. Yep. And uh and also I since I, I game every week I mm-hmm. can kind of like stealth test some of the system stuff mm. because uh we got licensed uh, to use Savage Worlds as the game system. Okay. And so I run a, a campaign every other week in, using Savage Worlds. So I can, gotcha. like, if I want to, like, try something new, I can kind of stick it in there, see how it works. And, like, if it totally, like, you know, knocks the wheels off the wagon, so to speak, then it's like, all right, we're not putting that in rules of engagement. Or if it, like, you know, like, oh, that slows things down. It added two more roles to every act. then No, okay.
0: Mm, yeah still has to be fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it has to be fun, but Mm -hmm. it still has to go fast. Yes.
0: Yes, well, fast.
1: Because one of the things that I I run into as a game designer, you know, because I've dabbled with game design over, you know, ever since I started playing. Mm -hmm. Um, And my friends like say that I have never met a rule system that I haven't wanted to change.
0: Well, I think that's true of life too, right? There's some rules in life I'd like to change too. So totally with games.
1: And one of the things I've learned is that I'll come up with an idea for a rule. I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea. And then I'll like, I'll chew on it. And then about three quarters of the time, I'm like, it doesn't add enough to make it worth the hassle. Mm-hmm. You know, if oh, I want speed factors based on weapons. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Do you want to have to do the calculation for initiative for every character based on what weapon they're using? Mm-hmm. And if they change weapons in combat, and it's like, all right, never mind.
0: You're like, this is too much, too much. I'm over-engineering it. We're going to leave that one out.
1: Yeah, my DNA campaign, I think we're on our fourth or fifth initiative system, so.
0: Ooh, you've been playing. That's really cool. I look forward to that. We'll have to have you back on when that one's out. Mm. Maybe you can come and guest DM for us. That would be fun.
1: Yeah, one of the things Uh, they did at a few conventions, including Gen Con, is mm -hmm. I ran a Malaysian Accord scenario. where I converted some characters from the books into Mm D&D stats (laughs) you know set up a scenario and you know the the players played the characters from the books
0: that would be awesome yeah Florida Kevin says Savage Worlds is pretty streamlined it's a very well regarded system he's a big player too awesome that would be fun I'm afraid I have no idea what Savage Worlds is I'm still a newbie when it comes to this particular kind of gaming it'll be fun but I like making stuff up. So, I mean, come on now. That's half the fun, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, most gamers have like a zillion characters that they've they've made because it's cool to make characters that they never get around to playing.
0: Right. It's
1: like there's not enough. Yeah. You know, I had a friend. We swore at one point that he was just getting his characters killed off so he could like break a new one out.
0: <laughs> so he could keep playing them. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, why not? Right. Let's see. And now, I mean, we can do it all digitally. We don't even have to waste paper. This could totally work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the side effects of the uh, of the uh, virus is that uh, we had to switch to playing online totally.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's what we've been doing. So with our old our old game, we used to play. We did it online even before. So hopefully, the new one will be awesome. We shall see. You have to watch and let us know what we're doing wrong. <laughs>
1: Oh, I see. When it comes to gaming, it's hard to say someone's doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you mean no, I can just kill everyone because you know,
0: they were making me mad? Can I just do that? Is that
1: okay? What's fun for one fun for one group might not be fun for, for another. But that's as right. long as that group's having fun, you know, like if, if you're doing something and I don't like the way it works, but you are having fun, mm-hmm. then who am I to say that it's wrong? If it works for you and you're having fun, then mm-hmm. have at it.
0: Well, that's what or, I keep saying. I'm going to stress fun. Because I'm still learning all the mechanics. Fun. I'm stressing fun. And it's all writers on the podcast, on the on the role-playing game. So it'll be really fun to just see, you know, if writers decide to follow any rules at all. So <laughs> it'll be
1: interesting. Well, see, one of the things that uh, I like to joke about is that my characters don't behave.
0: Yes. Well, you that's know? true of writing, too, right? You, so think, I mean... you think when
1: you become a writer, well, you know, as a dungeon master, you know, it's notorious. The players uh-huh. go off the rails all the time. Right. You you plan this meticulous adventure that you took hours and hours and hours building, and they decided to like chase some piece of flavor text to a different village because they <laughs> want to see a gazebo and it's like, it's just a gazebo. You're like, I didn't even build you anything it. for that it must village. Be important. We're gonna check it out, but the adventure, and uh, so it's like you know, when you become a writer, it's like, aha, all right, well now I can tell the characters what to do. I shall control now. And, you know, at one point, I'm uh, I'm typing along and I'm like, wait, why are you guys going back to the bar? You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I know you're thirsty, but we need to move on. The bar? Supposed to be the bar. Why are you going? Why do you want to go back at the bar?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> the mercenaries, they always want to
1: go to the bar. It's a rule. It's a thing. I
0: feel that. I feel that. Yeah, exactly. So I guess I shouldn't feel bad, you know. Fictional characters that I should have control of, I don't. So I certainly should not expect to have control of actual people. So that's right. It's just fun, and we have reached the lightning round. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. So these are supposed to be fast questions. We shall see if they succeed. First, what is your? Yeah, you never know. What is your favorite holiday dish?
1: pumpkin pie. Oh,
0: good choice. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream?
1: Um chocolate chip peanut butter cup.
0: Ooh, yummy. If you could listen to only one band or artist for the rest of your life, who would it be? John Williams. Oh,
1: good choice.
0: Me too. If you could have your dream pet, what would it be?
1: Ooh, that's that's a tough one. Um Actually, it my can cat. be
0: fictional, too.
1: No, my cat that passed away a few years ago.
0: Oh, you want your kitty cat back. That's a good answer. Uh, what is your least favorite chore around the house?
1: Mm. Vacuuming.
0: Mm. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Good choice. Get rid of all the carpets. That'll help. And where can fans find you and your work?
1: Uh, Amazon is the easiest place under John R. Osborne. Make sure to use the R.
0: And the E and the, at the end.
1: Yes. You'd be surprised how many John Osbournes there are in the world. I have two others at my job. <laughs> Just at your job, let alone yes, writing. We, huh? we get each other's emails all the time. All of us, John Osborne. <laughs> uh, you know, we will we, we'll, we'll start to email, hey, my fellow Osses, I, I think I got your email.
0: <laughs> this is one of y'all's. I don't know which. That's awesome. And you're um, on Facebook too, right?
1: On Facebook, at John R. Osborne. Instagram, at John R. Osborne. There's a theme there.
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> Very cool. Excellent. Well, now that John is your new favorite writer, please make sure to review his work and also review us wherever it is you get your podcast. You can also follow on Twitch or subscribe on YouTube. And what's the other thing? Oh, we am going to thank our subscribers. DH Dunn and Helen, thank you so much for supporting us and keeping the lights on. And we will see you next week with Kevin Petway because we have book four in his Misplaced Mercenaries Releasing. We'll see you then.